0: Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Spotlight. Tonight we're going to talk about the Torah, the Torah, the gift that God gave to humanity and specifically gave to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai over 3,300 years ago. And next two weeks, in synagogues all over the world, they're going to be talking about and reading the section of the Torah, which deals with two of the most important events that ever happened in Jewish history, events that not only had an influence, of course, on the rest of Jewish history, but really on the rest of world history, as we will see in the very near future. We're going to be talking about Exodus and the experience that the Jews had in Egypt and how they came out of Egypt, but in a little bit more of a different way than you might have experienced before. Not in a storybook way, but in a way that you'll find by the end of the next half hour that this is a story that's very relevant to you on a very, very personal level. In order to be able to go into the Torah with this type of perspective, in order to be able to open it up. From this viewpoint, I've asked a friend and colleague to come onto the Jewish Spotlight, Rabbi Yossi Blasovsky, who is the director for Chabad in Northeast Queens. Rabbi Blasovsky, it's very much a pleasure to have you with us today.
1: Pleasure to be here, Okay,
0: I'm looking forward to hearing your pearls of wisdom for the next half hour. I'll share them. Okay, sounds good. Now, we know that that the Rebbe often shared with us very beautiful insights into the meaning of Egypt, the meaning of the exodus from Egypt. Maybe you could just start to whet our appetite as to exactly what is going on here. Is this just a storybook about a Jewish people coming out of a nation of bondage, or is there something deeper here that we can all relate to on a very personal level? Let's get into some Torah study in a way that will hopefully motivate our audience to want to continue past this half hour. Maybe you'll be, end up studying the whole night tonight, so you never know.
1: Okay, we'll give it a try. When you talk about the idea of exodus, freedom from slavery, freedom from Egypt, I think that for people living in the free world, uh, especially Americans living here in America, in the 21st century, land of the free, um, for the Jewish people living here, it's a little bit difficult to appreciate the exodus on a very practical level. In other words, it's relevance to our lives. Because it's a free land. The freedom of expression that we experience here is we've never experienced before anywhere throughout our history. When the Jew in the shtetl in Russia would cry out at the Seder night next year in Jerusalem, it meant a lot to him, because he was living amidst terrible persecution, pogroms, blood libels, etc. But for us here in America, it's difficult, I believe. I I agree with you, there is a there is a problem. How do we relate to the Exodus? Um, Exodus, probably to most Jews and to most people, Brings back memories of the big UJA, the United Jewish Appeals mass project exodus, airlifting hundreds of thousands of Jews from Russia. And when you think about Russia, exodus suddenly makes sense. Um, people living under the communist regime for many years. Uh, I have a personal connection to that. My great grandfather was shot by the Russians in 1947 for a terrible crime of practicing his religion, that's even it. though that's all he did. Even though uh, the Russian Constitution gives, the old Constitution, gives you clear and explicit permission to practice your faith, nevertheless he was termed to be a an counter-revolutionary person, and he was shot. But for us here in America, how do we truly relate to freedom and to exodus and to servitude? So I think that could be explained on a couple of levels, and I'll touch on a few of them. Great. Um, first of all, we live in a society And a society, there are tremendous societal pressures that we all face. We face the pressures of a career. Where do you work? How much do you make? Where were you educated? Which school did you go to? Where do you live? Which neighborhood? How many homes? How big is the home? How many cars? Where do your children go to school? And those societal pressures bear down upon us. And they affect our lives. You hear so much about that very successful business executive, who makes a half a million dollars a year. He brings home a half a million dollars a year, or more, but he never comes home. He's working a 90-hour week, or she, and that has a very, very negative impact on the family, on relationships, on our children. So that's a societal pressure. That's the societal servitude that we're all under, every one of us.
0: But if you would ask that business executive, him or her, if they're a free person, they'd say, of course, I'm a free person.
1: Absolutely free. But when you ask them a second time, and you ask them why you're at the office at 10 o'clock at night, when you have children at home waiting for you, they start to think, maybe you're right. So that's the societal servitude that I think we're in. Then you have personal pressures that we all face. We're all people. We all have our negative sides, the negative traits, the negative character traits that we all possess. We have ego issues. We have selfish problems. We all have anger to deal with, and all of these negative character traits that most human beings possess, regardless of religion. I believe that they are our personal Egypt. We're trapped within, and we can't express ourselves, we can't live as full human beings and as full Jews.
0: And in a very real sense, we are serving them to a certain degree. We serve our ego we serve our job, we serve these constant demands and pressures that we have from day to day.
1: Absolutely. We've found new gods, the god of money, the god of success. As you said, we're chasing our ego, we're building ourselves up, we're not even sure what we're doing, it's a rat race, we're chasing our tail. But those personal pressures bear down upon us in a very real way.
0: Okay, so in that sense, each of us is living in Mitzrayim, in our own personal Egypt. In fact, the word Mitzrayim is a word that means, a limitation, a boundary. That exactly. was what the word for Egypt means, is exactly. a boundary. So we have our personal boundaries. Okay.
1: So now the question is, how do you leave Egypt?
0: Uh, if you can give me the answer to that, then we <laughs> will I'll have
1: you back every week. Okay. <laughs> that is, but that's actually the quest of all people. And it's interesting that the Talmud teaches us that in every generation, and actually every day, a Jew is obligated to look at themselves as if they personally left Egypt. That's a strange uh, commandment.
0: Right, very strange. And we very say strange. it at the Seder table every year.
1: Every, every year at the Seder table. We say it. We may not be listening to what we're saying, but we do say that. Right. Um, the simple explanation, of course, is, is that if the Jews would have remained in Egypt, Pharaoh would have remained the superpower and would still be there today. But on a deeper level, I think the, the meaning is that um, this Egypt that we've just been talking about is what we're still in today. It's something very real even in the year 2001, believe it or not, we're in that year already. Because
0: it's part of human nature.
1: Exactly. And that is what we have to try to do. We have to try to break out. In fact, the prophet tells us, the prophet Ezekiel Yochesko, calls the Exodus the birthday of the Jewish people. We were born when we left Egypt. That's when we were truly born. Because the Jews in Egypt not only were they enslaved physically, they were also enslaved emotionally mm-hmm. and spiritually. We weren't much different than our oppressors on a spiritual level. We had sunk down in the moral, in the moral, on the moral ladder. And when we left, we left by the grace of God, but we left the physical servitude, and at the same time, we left Egypt traveling towards Sinai, starting to free ourselves and develop as truly free people. All okay, of
0: now let's, let's go into a little bit of the text itself also. What okay. we're dealing with is really a uh, people who had been in slavery over 200 years mm-hmm. who had lost, as you say, any sense of of, uh, of self-dignity as a result of the way that they were treated. That the type of treatment that they received was deliberately in order to torment them psychologically and to make them feel like they had no worth whatsoever. And here Moses comes out of nowhere and promises them that God has come and sent you a deliverer in order to be able to take the people out. What was their reaction to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses at this time? How did they react to a person coming from the blue and all of a sudden making these promises?
1: It's interesting that their reaction was one of real belief. They believed Him. They really believed Him. When Moses came and promised them that a better time is ahead, they believed Him.
0: Okay. now. A person out there might say, okay, they believe, of course, listen, somebody comes along when you're in such a bad situation and they tell you such a thing that I'm a savior or I'm going to come to redeem you, of course you're going to believe me. Why do you have to lose? But in a deeper sense also, didn't they have a promise from Abraham that eventually the time would come that this person would come and take you out of this state of bondage? So they knew in their heart of hearts through hundreds of years of difficulties, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. They never lost that hope that the light would be at the end of the tunnel. They never really gave up hope.
1: Absolutely. Abraham, Avraham, Avinua, the patriarch, was clearly promised by God that a time will come when your seed, your descendants, will be enslaved, but I'll never forget them. And the Jews in Egypt knew that. And therefore, when Moshe came, when Moses came, they believed him. It applies to us today, too, because we're still in Galus, we're still in the diaspora, and we're still awaiting better times. And we've been promised better times, and we believe the day will come soon. As right, well.
0: we've been promised, of course, that there will be a, Mashiach, a Messiah who will come to really bring the world to the state of perfection it was meant to be, perf- be created with from the very beginning. Exactly. And God willing, that should be very soon.
1: Very soon. In fact, when you talk about Exodus, it's not just a Jewish issue, it's a very, very global issue, because freedom is something that we can all relate to. And when we believe in a time, a better time, a utopian time, we believe that that is going to affect the world in general. Someone was just telling me the other day a story it's about a famous actor, Burt Lancaster. I'm not that familiar, but I understand he was pretty big. And uh, he was a big actor in the 40s. And he, his, his wife was pregnant, but they weren't married yet. And it was a big scandal in those days. And he had to hide the fact that she was pregnant expecting their first child until he could arrange a marriage, a wedding. So in the Hollywood, in the 40s, that was a scandal. Having a child before the two two were married was a scandal. Today it's the opposite. If you get married first, that's a scandal. So I think that society in general is is looking for a, a better future.
0: Okay, now let's get back to the first comment that you made. If we're talking about, let's say, this businessman or a housewife or a business executive, him or her, whoever might be, running around, doing things, having pressures from the outside and from the inside. Now, just because we say that there's uh, the ability to have Yitzhi S'masrayim, to experience an exodus from Egypt, does that mean I'm not going to have to pay the mortgage anymore? Does that mean I'm not going to have the problems or the, the strain or the stress, the tension in my life that I would have before? In other words, what exactly is this exodus from Egypt? that each Jew is supposed to go through on a daily basis. How do we translate that into something very practical?
1: Okay. Uh, the, again, the Talmud teaches us that how do you attain true freedom? It says, the only true person is someone someone who studies the Torah. We're not just talking about going to a yeshiva and studying. We're talking about a person, a regular person. Us, people, studying the Torah, taking God's eternal and divine wisdom and incorporating that into our lives. As soon as we do that, we start to appreciate why we're here. We start to appreciate why we work. We start to appreciate children and the work it takes to educate them and bring them up the way they're supposed to be brought up. So it's not that we're suddenly free of all these worldly obligations. We're here for a purpose. Well, you have to pay the mortgage, that's part of life. But when you do it, you know why you're doing it. There's a sense of purpose that I think helps us tremendously in our daily struggle of okay. life. Okay.
0: All right. And how about in terms of the internal challenges that a person faces? Not the external challenges.
1: The internal challenges. The internal
0: challenges. Let's say the anger, the arrogance, the, the ego driven decisions that are constantly pushing us in one direction or another. How do we go beyond those, those drives as well?
1: I think you could, to answer that question, I'd go back to the uh, story, the ancient story of the Exodus. One of the highlights, I think, of the Exodus story is the crossing of the sea, the splitting of the sea. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that was a very major miracle that the sea split and the Jews went through. Their captors... It, chased it ranks
0: them. up there as a major... Wonder, One of the big ones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the ten wonders. <laughs>
0: right.
1: um, their captors followed them, and then the sea came back, and they were finished, and we were free. But on a spiritual level, when you think about the splitting of the sea, the sea represents concealment. Because when you look at the ocean, all you see is that beautiful ocean, the water. You don't realize that there's a world underneath. There's a tremendous world of vast beauty and riches. The same thing applies to us as people. When you look at someone, all you see is, you see the body. You see the external, the superficial part of the human being. Within each and every one of us, there is a godly soul. There is a spark of God, literally a spark of God, which has incredible potential for good. So the splitting of the sea, And our lives represents tapping in to that inner spark, that inner peace of God that each of us possesses. Which is normally concealed. Which is absolutely concealed. It's concealed by all the trials and tribulations and difficulties of life. And ego and anger, those tend to conceal that soul. But if you can tap into your soul, which is absolutely there, you'll emerge as a better person.
0: So by doing that, what a person is doing is, again, not necessarily changing the circumstances of their life, but able to relate to it with an inner peace and an ability not to become imprisoned by the experiences of their life, because very often it's all in the attitude. In other words, the same person can react, or or two people can react to the same situation with completely different attitudes, one able to handle it and one totally incapable of handling it, because, according to what you're saying, where it's dependent on how much we're able to dig into our inner resources to be able to experience it on one level or another level. In fact, it's interesting because uh, the story of the Jews crossing over the Red Sea, and of course the splitting of the Red Sea, is part of the morning services that we have in our prayer book for every single morning. And you can think, well, why should that be part of your morning services? talking about hundreds of people drowning in the ocean. I mean, that's something to talk about and to Mm -hmm. praise God. You can find many things to praise God with if you want to have services. But again, based on what you're saying, this is all part of the process of prayer, is that process of being able to dig deeper in to connect to your soul, which is your real connection with God, in order to be able to reveal that which is concealed, not only, of course, God being concealed and reveal God, but reveal that part of you that's concealed as well.
1: Exactly. As I was driving up here, there was a sign on the highway Steer clear of um, rage, road rage drivers, <laughs> and you know that's a very prevalent thing today. This right. road rage thing, and that, that's part of the problem that we have today. When you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off, you go crazy. How did they have the chutzpah, the nerve, to cut me off? And you start to put. It's that we're at, we're not in control. We're under the control of our negativity, so we're really in prison. We're in Mitzrayim. Every one of us is is in control, rather, he's under the control of all the negativity, and
0: that's exactly what we're striving to break out of. Right. I very often mention to people who challenge us as far as, well, you Orthodox people, you religious Jews, you have everything is already mandated, how to do this, what to do with this time of the day, how to observe the Sabbath. You, know, you just open up a book and you have everything decided for you already, which is a common thing that we get. But the fact is that every single person has a modus operandi. If it's not the code of Jewish law, it'll be their own personal code of, of law about how they react to situations based on their upbringing, based on the circumstances of their lives, their genetics, their program to be able to like certain foods, not like other foods, to react to certain situations in exactly this particular way, and they're very predictable. Sure. What is this Yitzhi Yitzh trying to do is help us to go beyond those natural limitations that we have as human beings, whichever human being has, and be able to, to aspire to go on with a, a different rule, a different code of law, a different means of conduct that hopefully will be able to break through the neg- negative aspects of our very limited selves. Absolutely. And it's a, that, something like that you're talking about years and years of, of struggle in order to be able to make a inner transformation to get to that level. It's a very challenging aspect of Judaism.
1: Absolutely, and it ties in well with what you mentioned before about the fact that in our daily services we talk about the crossing of the sea. In fact, they tell an interesting story that when the Jews were at the ocean, or at the Red Sea, and they saw, they witnessed the miracle, they started to sing praises to God. And God says, one second, my creatures, the Egyptian people, are drowning. How can you sing? Isn't a moment of rejoicing? In other words, the message of Passover, the message, message of the Exodus is not that our enemies were destroyed. That's really not the message. The message is how we today, in America, can attain freedom as well. Okay.
0: Now, you mentioned Passover, by the way. The question is, and this is something that very often is asked, okay, Rabbi, let's be serious. I mean, here you've got all these people that are going out of Egypt, and they happen to have this dough on their back, and just because they didn't have time to let it rise, so I've got to check my house and go crazy for, for weeks before Passover, clean out all the leavened bread, make myself uh, poor by having to pay for this expensive shmura matzah, and go through all the other things in preparation, just because they forgot... To, or didn't have enough time to let it rise. What's really going on over here? I mean, that, let's, let's work this out as far as how does matzah deal with this subject of the Tzius and the exodus from Egypt, and even to these themes that you're talking about of experience of personal freedom. Is matzah going to make me free? So, what's going on? Great
1: question. I mean, when you ask a regular person on the street, what is Passover represent to you, they'll tell you matzah bolsu. That, that's about yeah, yeah. it. Uh, they don't mention the, the dry crackers called matzah that we eat. I'd rather eat a bagel. It's a good question. I think it ties in very well and it really runs, you know, exactly with what we were saying before. Everything in Judaism has its representation in, on a spiritual plane as well. And matzah, the thin cracker, and its opposite, its counterpart, which is the bagel, the chali roll, the leavened bread, represent two very different states of mind. The chali, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to knock challah here, but we're, we're talking about the... <laughs> The advantages of matzah at the Passover holiday, the leavened bread represents arrogance. It represents rising. Literally, that's what happens. The yeast rises, the dough rises. That, that represents ego.
0: Like a person. A person can be a, a very nice person, but as soon as you put a lot of hard into that person, exactly. the ego right. starts blow to blow up. up and it blows up and to be, becomes something completely different than what it was before. Then, what,
1: and then what you really are. And ego is extremely destructive. Arrogance is very destructive. It breaks up relationships, families, friendships.
0: How is is ego destructive?
1: How is ego destructive? Well, when a person...
0: Arrogance I can understand, but ego...
1: No, I should correct myself. Ego itself is important. We need it for self-preservation. We need it for success in our lives. We need a drive. But when ego goes a little bit too far, and when the ego, the I say this, and I feel this way, and I would like it to be this way, when that becomes totally predominant in your life, but everything you want is what has to happen. Then you're becoming okay, a destructive gotcha. person. All right. And matzah, on the other hand, the very flat bread, represents humility. It represents a humbleness.
0: So it's the same flour, the same water, same ingredients, without
1: the hot air. Without the hot air. And we strive during Pesach to focus on that side of ourselves and try to develop the humble side. In fact, that's why we search. You mentioned something before. You have to go crazy looking through every corner of my home for any speck of leavened bread. They tell an interesting story about Abba Zalman of Liyadi, the first Chabad Rebbe, the founder of the movement. And he had, when he came to study under his Hasidic master, uh, he had one little room in, a, in probably an inn, small room, a two by two, there wasn't much furniture, there surely wasn't much food. And as is traditional, the night before Passover, he searched for the chametz, Right. Search for any leaven. And he searched and searched the whole night. He spent 12 hours looking for crumbs in a room that it shouldn't have taken him more than 15 minutes maximum to clean the floors and polish them. And they asked him later, Why? Why were you spending so much time searching for chametz? So he said, You have to understand, when I searched for the chametz for the leaven, I wasn't just searching for the crumb. I was searching for the spiritual leaven. I was trying to eradicate from within myself, any speck of negative ego, negative uh, arrogance. That's
0: great. That's a that runs a lot scrup- of life. So when you're on scrup- your knees scrubbing, think <laughs> about that. <laughs> That's a deal. All right, very good. Now, getting back to the Parsha again. So they go out of Egypt. They're there. They receive the man. They have God giving them everything they could possibly want. They're receiving the water from the well of Miriam. You, know, you have a bunch of Jewish mothers here and Jewish fathers and they just, this leap of faith just going into the desert. There's no 7-Elevens out there. There's nothing, nothing to buy at all. They're coming here with lots of money but no stores to pay for anything. And But nevertheless, there's a tremendous amount of faith that they have. But when it comes down to it, they still turn into kvetchers. They kvetch and complain about this and complain about that, complain about the next thing. What's going on over here? Why are they constantly complaining? They've just experienced all these miracles, the ten plagues, everything else. I mean, this is even before, of course, they experienced the revelation of Mount Sinai, but even after that revelation of Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah, they still quetch. Why do we always quetch? What's uh, what's going on over here?
1: The eternal quetch of the Jewish people. That's <laughs> right. the eternal question. I think that we're constantly evolving in our development as, as full human beings and full Jews. And until we fully develop, and I think that will only happen when Mashiach comes. We're going to constantly still be, still have a little bit of fetch within us. Uh, just to uh, relate to that question. So maybe that's a little healthy.
0: We should never give up kfetch completely?
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> when the Jews were approaching the sea, um, so in front of them you have this ocean, and behind them you have the Egyptians coming right. with their chariots. And they approach an ocean, so they've experienced the tremendous miracle of Of freedom, but now they're faced with an even greater obstacle. An ocean in front, an enemy in the back, what do you do? And the Medrash tells is a very interesting thing, that the Jews were divided up into four groups, four categories, four different opinions. How do we deal with this situation? What should we do? Some said, let's fight back, let's fight our enemy. Some said, let's just go back, let's just give up, go home third group said let's commit suicide let's just fall into the sea there's, mm-hmm. there's no hope we're not going back right and the fourth group said pray let's pray maybe God will help us again and Moses obviously a perfectly understandable reaction very very reasonable each right? of them Moses turns to God and God says to him Moses what are you crying for just tell the Jews to continue going just continue and in fact one of them continued nachshon he plunged into the sea, and as soon as the sea hit his neck, it split, and the rest is history. So I think this represents That's
0: a very strong lesson.
1: Very strong, and it has. It of course it represents our struggles in life in general. We all face struggles, physical, emotional, spiritual. We face struggles, and sometimes life, the difficulties are insurmountable. Sometimes, and I think that these four opinions are the four different attitudes that people have. Let's fight. Some people. Are looking for a fight. They're always looking for a fight. If it's a religious issue, if it's a a, a family matter, they want to fight about it. Others, let's pray, let's just run away, let's escape, hide in a cave in the north of Israel with a candle, study Torah all day. Let's just escape society. Others say, let's just commit suicide. You can't handle it. And then a fourth group says, let's go back to Egypt, just give up, join the party, and don't try to be a better person. God's message is very simple. And I think Nike stole this from God. Just do it. That's their motto, just do it. God said, don't think so much. You're placed here on earth. You have a mission to do the right thing. Study God's Torah, take his eternal lessons, and just live life the way you should. Don't get carried away with all the difficulties. Go but forward. It, this
0: is, uh, I want to just add on a different aspect of it also. That from what I read into it as well, people would think, well, you know, if you're talking about religion, so the normal reaction a religious person should have is to pray to God. But obviously here, one of the four groups said to pray. Now, who could think that that would be something wrong? And Moshe said, no, we're not here to pray, we're here to do. Which points is a key thing about Judaism that Torah teaches always to do. To action is the key thing. We have to act, we have to do things, we have to be involved in the world. You can't just sit back and, and pray your whole day and just hope that something is going to happen. God wants us to be active participants in the world, and, of course, active participants in experiencing our own personal exodus from Egypt. So that's uh, very enlightening. I want to thank you very much. We'll, we'll definitely have you back on here. I want to continue. We have another part we want to go into. We'll do it some other time. Okay. And uh, I, I appreciate your time and your your insights. Thank you.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So I just want to wrap up by saying that we're going to be continuing next week to talk a little bit about the next event which happened, which was the event, of course, with the giving of the Torah in Mount Sinai, which was the whole purpose for the Exodus from Egypt in the first place. And now we're going to do with Rabbi Chaim Grossbaum, who is the Chabad rabbi in Stony Brick and Lake Grove. And please, make sure to be here, because that's going to be something very interesting. But in the meantime, I would really take Rabbi Blasovsky's words to heart and realize that we are all made imperfect, where none of us are perfect, but we all have the ability to go through our own personal liberation from our own personal Egypt. I think the first step, probably, is realizing what that Egypt is and being able to come to grips with what limitations we have, and then take the steps, step by step, and it takes time to be able to, to go through the liberation itself. And By doing that, hopefully, as a, on a collective basis, we'll all be able to work together to really make this world the type of place God wanted it to be in the first place. We will all be liberated and we'll all be together back in Israel with all of our loved ones and it should be happening very, very soon. Meantime, go out there and do a mitzvah, make the world a better place. Shalom.